Welcome back to The Firebreak. I'm Steve Wolf. The Firebreak is sponsored every episode by Team Wildfire, developing new technologies and tactics for dealing with the world's most destructive fires. I have today with us a, I'm going to call you a friend, Rino, because we've, we've been hashing this thing out with this fire issue for, what, three or four years together online. Uh, you know, with you live from the other side of the world, the other hemisphere, you're down in New Zealand and, oh, you've been all around, right? This is uh, Rino Lovreglio. Perfect. And uh, Rino is one of those guys who gives me a lot of hope about the future of wildfire because one, he's always smiling. And two, if you knew what he was struggling with, you'd say, how's this guy smiling all the time? But he's a, a brilliant academician and uh you know well you know well feathered university guy who's doing all this kind of phd stuff studying the stuff that you know, really impacts you know fire fire management um and it's stuff that you know people who are actually firefighters you know would never you know, would never honestly would never think to think about i mean it's it's this whole other dimension Rino, tell me Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, uh, I am, uh, as you were mentioning, my full name is really complicated, Ruggero Lovreglio. You can imagine how long it takes to learn to spell it when you're a kid. And also when they <laughs> ask on the phone, can you spell your name, Mr. Finnegan? Oh man, no, <laughs> why are you doing this to me? And I'm a scientist based in New Zealand, at Mass University. And uh, today I'm not in New Zealand. It's the first time we're pretty much on the same place of the earth, talking to each other because now I'm uh, for a visiting period at NIST, the National Institute of Standard Technology, based pretty close to Washington DC. And uh, what I do for a living is uh, to discover how people behave during disaster and try to use new technology to train them and try to create a new generation of uh, safety training. And that has been the, if you want, the two teams of my research. And it's the stuff that really keeps me busy in day and at night. You can ask my wife about it. <laughs> That's right. I've seen her on LinkedIn, seen pictures of you traveling together. You look like you're having fun. Uh, so so what Reno does, if I, if I get this right, is based on actual data of how people behave in disasters, he then turns that into a model into a computer model that would be used for telling you something like let's say uh word goes out at noon a big fire is coming reno could tell you that by noon 05 you know five percent of the people will have already left their homes uh by noon 15 you know 30 percent more will have left uh you know by one o'clock uh, some stragglers will still be thinking about leaving. And, and at two o'clock, some people have still decided, you know what, we're staying, we're going to ride this out, right? And so by, by being able to predict these traffic patterns, then a city planner or a city manager would be able to know, you know, okay, by 15 minutes after the announcement, we're going to have to close all the northbound lanes, convert everything to southbound because we're going to have a mass exit is going that way. And then Reno might also look and say, you know, given an option, you know, 70% of the people go to the right, 30% go to the left, right? It's just, you know, yeah. randomization. It's like, I, I don't know if you are familiar with a pachinko game, 
That's where the, you put the ball in and it goes ding, 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 right? And so Reno has developed these mathematical models for being able to help predict, you know, who's going to do what when, uh, when, when the crap hits the fan. Is that right? Yeah. The beautiful thing about my work that is not just me being a nerd by myself, but most of this <laughs> research has been done uh, with a lot of other people. Uh, for instance, the wildfire research you were mentioning has been done uh, with a lot of good friends and collaborators uh, like uh, Sheila Zhao from University of Florida, Daniel Nielsen from University of Canterbury, Erika Kuligowski from RMIT. So whenever we meet, we meet always with the people that are spread all over the globe and we try to squeeze our brain with our awesome students, try to figure it out the best way to get information out of the data. And uh, the sometimes the, the, the thing seems really easy. In fact, I described to my wife, ah, we are trying to do this, this and this. And she looked at me, it's like, ah, it sounds pretty easy. Why do they give you money for that? And then, <laughs> and that's the provocation most of the time in my presentation. I show them, ah, this, this was our proposal. Look easy. Let's go and see how long it take for our, it took us to, to write, reach the solution and to uh, to codify the rules that express uh, explain human, human behavior. And sometimes it takes really hard time and months and rethinking, and this is a really big teamwork. And sometimes it's beautiful to have people from different backgrounds. Uh, Chile, for instance, is more uh, towards machine learning and computer science. I'm more traditional statistical modeler. And then we have people like Daniel Nielsen, Erika Kuligowski that have a much more science uh, social science background that they can feed in the system. So it's, we have forgot Tom Kova that is from Utah University working with us. So it's, he's a geographer. So the beauty is that this field is really putting us in intersection of different fields because you really need to not to have a single person that is capable to do the stuff, but you need to, it's so challenging that you need to have, uh, see and tackle the problem from different perspective. I see. So by by working with an international team, you're working with people in almost every country. Uh, not only are you getting different academic perspectives, but you're getting different cultural perspectives. Exactly. And, and, the, and... the person that needs to be acknowledged is uh, Shilei Zhao because she has been leading most of this research. And she's the one babysitting all us crazy researchers spread what, what over is, What is her world. name? Shilei Zhao. Shilei Zhao. Okay. I can pass you later the, the details. She's okay, a really yeah. good colleague based in uh, University of Florida. Okay. Well, so this is really different because you're you're studying people, right? And, you know, for scientists who study, you know, chemical reactions or physics or, you know, there's heat, there's oxygen, there's fuel. We can model what the fire is going to do. And the fire is always going to do, you know, what the physics tell us it's going to do. But... You people boy that, that's a whole other can of worms there uh, what did you have to study to be able to wrap your head around the idea that people make well stupid choices sometimes or unpredictable behavior or yes sometimes you know, they look, it might look like unpredictable behavior and some of time you see even in the media that they, they define some choice like panic related to panic behavior first of all we have shown several times that panic is not a good word to use to express human behavior because sometimes you might see the the behavior of a person and you're just an observer and you might feel like ah this guy is nuts he's doing something that doesn't make any, any sense but then that's right 
if you go and ask the person, he's doing something because he has a reason behind it. Yes, that's and right. Sometimes I, I've seen one of the most beautiful things that I experienced myself when I was studying uh, fire buildings. We were in a retirement home back in New Zealand and we were just doing a study in a retirement home. So with really old people. And we saw this couple getting out of the corridor. The fire cell door was just close to them on the right. And they start going left. And we were like, what the hell they are doing? And then we just realized that they were going to the other apartment because there was a lady that he was over 90. They knew that she was having here this ability to take care of her and bring her out. So if you were just seeing the first part of that events, you will say, ah, they are doing a something that doesn't make any sense. If there was a fire, they would have died. The people would have started saying, ah, people, they panicked. They didn't see that the exit was there and they died. I see. Instead, there was a choice behind. And it's the same for larger disasters. We yeah. try to understand what's the rationale behind the choice of people. And we try to model in different ways depending on what we are trying to, uh, to model. For instance, the decision to evacuate can be associated with the risk perception of a person. Okay. So, you can imagine the risk perception like a, a tank, an empty tank. And because you start receiving information, it gets full and full and full. And when you cross one limit, you start seeing, I probably need to start doing something. And when you cross another limit, then you start thinking, probably I need to start evacuating or at least think about it. And when you see that it became really high and say, I'm out of here. And some people have different dimension of this tank. So you can have the, the same information have completely different uh, uh, impact in terms of risk perception. And there is a lot of more because humans are attached to their property. If you're in a wildfire, in one land, you might be attached to your possession that is a, a farm, animals. You want to leave them behind? People might not care. Other people might be really attached to them and think that they, they, they need to be there because they are in charge. So there is a lot of other dynamic that sometimes we can't really model yet in that details. And so we, we need to use a bit of random distribution and we put there, we hide under the rug all the things we are not capable to model and say, yeah, there is some randomness. But whenever there is some randomness in the model, that means that we haven't fully understood what's behind the scene, unless we are talking about quantum physics and Right. It's another completely different world that they still haven't figured out why matter behave like that crazy. But humans are not like quantum system. As it, far as uh, right. And then when, but if you add in quantum entanglement, then, you know, it probably throws just as much variety, uh, you know, as, as you'd see from human behavior. I might need to do some experiment with my wife and see if we can quantum entangle. <laughs> Please, this is a family show. For you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, so that's that's fascinating, though, and and you know uh, that uh, all of the decision processes that go into people's behavior, you know, that that either make sense to them at the time, or they're acting, they're just completely overwhelmed, and they're not even they're not able to, you know, make rational decisions, and they might even know that at the time. Now, the problem in that case, uh, I, I can tell you that the, the, the most important things in, in, at the beginning of disaster is to give people information. And uh, we have uh, seen a lot of examples. I'm here in Nice, and I've, seen a I've read a lot of the campfire investigation. It was one of the 
big hit for US in uh, quite a few years ago in terms of also human losses. And in that case, if you see the amount of time required to figure it out that there is a fire is coming for all the chain of decision making, giving an alarm and information to the public, it takes some time. And now uh, with new technology, first of all, we need to try to figure it out how to make this time smaller and smaller and also to convince the population that sometimes you need either to evacuate if you still have time to do it or the new uh, things that we are proposing is the, the NIST colleague are proposing is to shelter in specific place when the situation is way too bad and you still don't you don't even have time to evacuate you can shelter in your property because it's not a bunker unless you decide to live in a beautiful bunker with oxygen supply so right. we need to identify also those places in community as a really last resources and this is a really new a concept that has been proposed by NIST colleagues and it's, it's it's something that is really linked with data of what happened in the past and what we can do and what needs to be done for the future to prevent that we have human losses. Property, yeah, we need to protect them. You can still rebuild it. That Right. You, you can bring back a human life. No, and right. that's why it's, it should be the core of what we are doing. So you're So they're looking at this possibilities of where it's possible to shelter in place, you know, during wildfire. Uh, and I guess you look at a lot of disasters, right? If yeah. if it's a flood, you know, don't shelter in place in the basement, right? Yeah, and so, of course, right. then uh, we need to, do, in this case, the, most of the research we have been doing is a wildfire, but we need also to be considering that uh, in, other, in some area, there might be multiple kind of disasters and uh, in, educate the public. That's the, the other key things that we need to do as a society. Educate, educate, educate. And but, but, you go. Hmm? I just, yeah. uh, I just, it's just like education is not enough because um, uh, people sometimes don't know what to do with the data or, or they ignore the data or they get too, too much data and they're overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes there's not a good option, right? If you look at the Paradise Fire, Staying at your home is not an option, and evacuating turned out to be a disaster too, because and that's right? the investigation of the paradise done here in NIST. The three researcher behind uh, this investigation just received last year a, a medal uh, from by, by NIST for their amount of work inspired the, the things that probably sometimes while evacuating is not even possible in that so, stage. It's probably too late. So, so that's since, why we need to start reconsider what are more extreme things that we need to do in more extreme situation. Uh, so, so given that you're working with humans, human behavior and human irrationality, um, you know, to, to think information would be enough would be kind of like saying, well, if you smoke, you're going to get lung cancer. OK, we told everyone that. Hey, wait, they're still smoking. Right. So there's reasons why people right, you would call them reasons. Uh, yeah. Right. Or they would call them reasons why they don't listen to the information that they have. And so if you want to enact uh, performance, right, you want them to do a certain thing, then it's not enough to g just give them the information and hope that they act on it, you know, the way you would. So there how is, do you how do you package that information so that you get the response you're looking for? The things that we are trying to do now is to gamify the educational part, try to 
develop for the future some little game that can give people information about oh wildfire behave like that ah. I am, you might feel like i'm in a community but the wild line is a few kilometers away so i'm pretty safe here even the the data from the paradise disaster and the camp 5 disaster showed that wait a second the embers can even travel up to few kilometers in the community and ignite a fire in my home in my backyard or in my neighbor backyard so we need to start thinking as a community what we can do first of all to mitigate the risks it's not just about what i need to do right away when the disaster is happening to do mitigation is too late you need to prevent and do mitigation and reduce risks right away when you understand that you are in a dangerous area before even the wildfire season and Hmm. involving the community and that's the big trick that that's yeah. the, the, the 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 same ground that we are trying to 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 get it because it's there there is free will economical decision you might need to make decision about how oh, i need to re remove these features from my backyard but it's something that make the, the the backyard much more beautiful yeah do we accept that I don't accept it. I, I might accept that eh, if there is a fire, it's gonna be far, fine. And we, how much we can regulate is also what we need to decide as a society. Because on, on one side, we need to allow people to have freedom. On the other side, we need the compromise to find safety for communities. So we need to find also the sweet balance on what is allowed, although it's your property, what you can have in your property. like. For instance, you have your property, you don't have the freedom to build whatever you want. You need to respect some certain rule about the building code. And probably you need to start making this building code more comprehensive to create a property that is resilient. And not just single property, because you can have also a domino effect. You can have that you fix few of them in a parcel, in a community, but still there are small chain like the chain... <laughs> Sometimes it's not that strong and that's if the, the, the wildfire is there then you have a domain effect and no matter you have spent a lot of millions in many other property you might end up having the disaster anyway. So it needs to be an integrated system that works. But as a society I don't have the answer yet we need to find of course the, the balance between people freedom and how much we can invest as a society and how much we can enforce as a society. Well, we'll give you a few more months to come up with the answers for that. In that case, I will need a Nobel Prize for peace or something for wildfire peace. Or I don't know. We need to invent a new Nobel Prize. Yeah. Okay. Well, if, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do create one. I know the, the, they've got the X Prize now, you know, which is really just focused on suppression. Yeah, I forgot uh, about engineers when they invented the Nobel Prize. Right. So, so at, at a practical level for individuals... Uh, you know, notification comes, there's some natural disaster. Uh, you know, what is the best strategy for the individual to survive a situation? It, it really depends on the disaster. Uh, in uh, in uh, many uh, situations, it, it, it depends on, uh, on the context. If it's a wildfire, you still have the time to evacuate. I will evacuate with my family and okay. cut any chance there will be something but it's reno's decision 
And right. uh, if you know that you're in a wildfire area, I will check what are the mitigation things that they can do. Have a plan in place if something bad happens about what is going to be the plan. So you can start cutting all the time that if something happens and it's overwhelming, you have something in place to, to follow. And uh, the problem is that this needs to be done on large scale. That's why I strongly believe that we need to do a lot to educate the public, to at least have in place a, a strategy and try to be aware that if there is an evacuation, what is the best way to go out of the property. But those, those disasters are also dynamics. And also the, the different wildfire have shown us that sometimes the, the way that you think is the main evacuation way might be blocked because there is an ember arriving in that area, creating a new ignition and the way is gone. So it's, it's uh, really complicated things. It's not because a wildfire is, uh, as my colleague says, is a self-propagating things. The energy is in the community when it's spreading the community. It's not like a hurricane that is coming and releasing his own energy, its own energy, and that's it. It's, uh, it's really dynamic and it's self-propagating a community. So it's really difficult to say, okay, this is going to be the way I'm going to yeah. be here. You need to have a, a broader plan in place and then try to, to do your best to get out of the, of the disaster. So one plan, but multiple variations, right? The plan is survive. Yeah. And then how you do that might be A, B, or C based on what's available to and you. The expectation when there is disaster, there will be people, officers that will guide you through the process, information that will be shared with you about what are the available way out. And we are creating tools that we hope in the future will allow us to have real-time forecasting of disaster congestion, uh, congestion on the roads during a disaster. That's the, the, the work we are doing with the team I was mentioning before. So we can have real-time forecasting, we can give more accurate information to the people and try to get them out as soon as possible. That's it. it it's ambitious and it's obvious at the same time. And uh, it's one of those things that just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Right? We, no, it it right. sounds every time simple, but then when you start doing the devil is in the details. And in terms of not just technology, but also then all the legal aspect of implement something like that. Because if you want to implement something like that, you need to start tracking real-time location of people. Yes. And you have a privacy issue, ethical issues. Who is in charge of this data? Who can access to this data? Where we store this data? It became a chain of uh, so many problems that needs to be solved. And we need to decide also as a society how much privacy we want to keep when there is death of life situation. Or if right. we can reduce it, it, the case, like like in a state of emergency, you can get whatever data you want and then delete them. So we, we, we need actually to discuss as a society and decide what is the big brother can do. Yeah. So is, ha having watched your career for several years now and seen you, you know, work on various projects around the world, like it, it it's obvious like how driven you are. Like this is your passion. This is your purpose. When did you realize that this is what you wanted to do? And, and what was it that, that pushed you in this direction? When did you uh, know? That's, that's a beautiful one. It's, uh, I was training uh, myself as a civil engineer. 
Then okay. I was studying my master as a structural engineer. So I was learning all building shakes. I was pretty good about it. I was getting, I was a real nerd back then, all A+. Plus and, uh, uh, but I realized towards the end of my master that that wasn't something that I wanted to do. And there were a couple of seminars that we had. The first one was done uh, in a course in transportation by my the person that became then my co-supervisor in my PhD, Dr. Enrico Ronchi, now he's associate professor in Lund University in Sweden. And he was showing us what he was doing during his PhD. And he started showing us evacuation model of people, digital people evacuating from uh, different uh, spaces. And I started thinking, hmm, that looks like something fun. You can simulate the fire in the building. You can simulate the people. And then after a week, there was another seminar of another computer scientist I think he was either from Germany or, or Netherlands, I can't remember uh, at, at this stage any longer his name, and he was showing something similar. And then he started clicking in my brain, it's like, probably should do my master thesis on that subject. And that's how I started. I started so, doing my master thesis. Back then it was on a, fun, uh, on a tunnel evacuation. So we were simulating different kind of fire in this uh, tunnel and then uh, showing the making uh, using CFD simulation to to sp to 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 propagate the, the the smoke in the tunnel and then have people evacuating from their cars so that's how it's, everything started then i start using more virtual reality and uh, more advanced statistical model to understand how people were making choice between exit and and then it grows, it grows, it grows. It's like when you get, you start enjoying your work, you you can't really stop. Yeah, no. I have a crazy idea for the future, but I need to complete my current project and not thinking too much ahead. Because <laughs> otherwise I get overwhelmed by too much things to do. But you have a roadmap, right? We're going to fix this problem, then that problem. So yeah. you like a hierarchy of like, here's where we want to go and... But this year, I need to focus just on getting this step taken care of. Exactly. And always hoping that also some other colleagues will come and say, ah, you know, I tried something and it works even better what you said. And the, the, the best thing is when it's one of your students and come in and say, you know, I think that this is, that's why the reason is because, and if we do this, this and this, is we're going to get better results. When they became better than you, you know that you've done a good job. That's right. That that's the job of a teacher, right? The students exceed your your abilities, uh, and that's or, what or at least show up. You know, that's a good start, right? Um, so another curious. So I'm I since you're really, you know, you're, you're really more of a of a psychologist, uh, you know, psychologist and economics, right? Given options, what do people do? You know, where do they drive? How, how do they vote with their actions? Um, so you must come across a lot of beliefs, you know, about evacuation. And, and I'm curious uh, along the way, what do you think are the most damaging untrue beliefs, things that people believe are true and that gets them in trouble? Um, the, the things is not really believer, some uh, behavior that we have and might create troubles. And the first one is that uh, during an emergency, uh, especially in buildings, we end up using uh, most of the time, uh, not the closest exit, but we end up using the exit that is we are more familiar with. Okay. And that's why, especially during a drill, you might notice that in uh, 
you start having a lot of congestion in the main entrance or exit of a building is not just because there were a lot of people there located nearby the taxis because most of those people probably they forgot to use the, the evacuation exit that was really close to uh, to them so this is one of the uh, the things that uh, we need to change and give people much more information about look there is an exit there who knows probably in the future there will be the robot in your hotel guiding you I've been spending three weeks in China and there were robots bringing you water from downstairs they were capable to go in the elevator and bring your stuff to your room and who knows if in the future they are gonna be the one telling you sir other way <laughs> right I wonder you know if, if like a hotel because that's an unfamiliar environment for people could do something like a, an evacuation practice uh, deposit so you you pay an extra ten dollars when you check in and if if you can tell them the the code that was written on the inside of the uh, exit door as as evidence that they actually practiced an evacuation, they get the ten dollars back. Yeah, we can gamify it and right. analyze yeah. it in a different way. Believe it or not, whenever I go in the hotels, the first things that they do from my room is try to figure it out. If I wake up tonight and I'm a bit, you know sleepy i know at least then i need to go right and then i'll figure it out where is the exact exit yeah but it's really important to to figure it out at least uh, when you are not familiar in a building and you might feel like there might be a risk right. how many how many paces do i have to crawl but at least from this the room direction to... where you need to go it's really important to to have it in mind and not to go just to the main way you came from it's it's really important. It takes just a few seconds. You arrive to the hotel room. There is always a map there. You need to go that way. We do it on the flights. Every single time. We're asked to do it. And it's also build the culture of safety for people. It's, it's something that is important. And because it's, it's about you. It's about your family. It's about your kids. Right. And, so on, and like you said, on flights, they do it every time. Every time you get on a plane, it could be the same plane. You've flown it a thousand times. They still tell you, they, they reinforce it, right? They say, put your magazine down, pay attention for a minute. We're going to show you where the exits are. The nearest, the, right? might, 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 the nearest exit might be behind you, right? In so future, so how come other industries haven't uh, taken the same type of initiative that the airlines have? Because we, we think like we have this psychology that disaster in an airplane are much more, going on an airplane is much more dangerous and then you see the statistic of where people die in all the transportation and then car accident. Right. Have a completely different statistics for uh, if you start normalizing all the data. But we have psychologically more traumatic experience about flight disaster. Right. And unfortunately, we do things when we are shocked by extreme events. Yep. And sometimes we underestimate the risks in events like when we are in a car that might look like ah, it's safe. I've been driving for so many miles and, and then you might underestimate all the risks in front of you. And it's the same about disasters. Sometimes we we, as a society, individual, we reach the peak when we see a disaster happening and then we keep forgetting, forgetting, forgetting. 
And if you see that curve, is sometimes unfortunately it's also about funding that the yeah. society put into improve safety and resilience of uh, of community. That we we do a lot of things when something bad happened, so we feel better about ourselves, and then we kind of forgetting. But people like me never forget it because it's part of their job. Yeah, right. So, so... it's good to have these kind of talks because then it's always the the kind of things that people that listen to raise awareness that is a big deal. And we need to be ready for the next one. It can be a wildfire, it can be an earthquake. If you're in a prone in an area prone to disaster, being ready, have a plan, mitigate all the risk is the best things that you can do for yourself and for the people that you love around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, a saying in the community, you know, never let a good disaster go to waste. And that rate, right, that you really need to capitalize on that moment when people are paying attention to this as a problem, because, you know, a week later, they're not thinking about it anymore. And, and like, we all know what right? I, I should install ember guards, you know, uh, on my house and I, I should clean the yard and get the dead twigs away from the door, you know. But yeah, it's, it's on my list forever. And it's, it's like, oh, when I saw the Maui fire, like, oh, you know what? I better actually get that done. Since so, you're here and many people are listening, and I hope millions, billions of people are going to listen to this podcast, are. just type on your Google search HMM NIST. HMM. Yeah. Henry Mike Mike. <laughs> Hazar Mitigation Methodology is a really short report. There is even a website that explains the contents of this report about all the mitigation you can have to reduce the impact of embers on your property. But wow, I'll put a link to that on the site here. Do it and give it to your neighbor because it's not an effort of individual property, at least unless you live detached from the rest of the world because you're a farmer or you're a sociopath, I don't know, you're, you have some problem with other people. <laughs> you just don't like neighbors. like astronomy <laughs> like me, so a lighting of other people is like, <laughs> stay away from me. So it's important that we work as a community, so you need to talk to the, your neighbor because you might solve all the problem in your backyard, but then there are still a lot of threat in the other backyard. And that, that website or, or report that we are trying now to gamify is one of the things that you can go and read before going to bed. And it's, I can tell you, if you go through the table, it's perfect also to fall asleep. But the day, <laughs> the day after, at least you will be motivated to do something, your property. Even during a weekend, you can see what are the things that you can do to reduce and plan to reduce all the hazard in your backyard and then try to plan what are the action that you need to take for your property, how much it will cost. And then talk with your boss, your wife and ask, can we do it? Right. And if she says yes, we can. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, your your risk of losing your house is as much dependent on your neighbor's behavior and their mitigation as on yours. It's like a, we play the game as a team. Yeah. And sometimes if the houses are too close, you need to right. work together to make sure that everyone does the right thing. Yeah, I'm sure you studied the Marshall Fire, right? Exactly. Yeah, what, what did you learn from that? I watched it from my window. I could see the fire. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. No, it's, it's all these disasters tell us more and more about responsible people. And it's, it's, 
it's it's important also to see how the 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 fire spread through the community those are all the important things that we are trying to get out of this fire because what we are trying to do is not just to improve the understanding of humans but there is also a lot of work through this case study to improve our modeling capability of the wildfire to understand even when there is a community close to a a wildland, what is the exposure, what are the risks of all this property. So that's why we try to get as much data from this information. But at this stage, uh, some of this data from this big disaster are granular. We don't have, like for instance, the, the, the position of the far front every single minute. We have some guesstimates. And the wildfire can be even more noty as a disaster because you, you don't have just a front, you have a something that looks like a front, but there are some other areas that are really ignite. Which one is the front? Uh. Because you might have an island of fire, then there is a line, and then there is another island. So it's it's much more complicated than it's what complicated. you might think. And we have seen like probably some grass burning in a line and go. When there is a wildfire, the situation is even the microclimate close to the wildfire change. You can have like... Uh, change of the wind they can even flip cars when they became yes. too strong so it's and it, it's 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 a big deal and uh, and that's what we are trying to do with the, all these previous disasters not let them go it's like ah let's try to do something better for the rebuild and forget about it we we try to use also this information to to learn well you are telling me you don't want to trip over your shoelaces trying to get too far ahead uh, yep. You know, because you're, you're trying to focus on what you're doing, you know, this year. Uh, but I'm curious, what do you envision evacuation route planning and disaster mitigation will look like 100 years from now? All right, we'll see a lot of holograms in our life. Holograms? That's something that uh, is going to become more and more things in our life. The technology is getting cheaper, still a bit uh, not really easy to use we will see what is going to be the new headset of uh, apple but i i'm expecting something slightly better than what we have now but not not a real revolution and i hope to prove myself wrong because that means that we will have a new toy to play with research but i'm expecting that our glasses will mean you will have the capability in a few hundred years to have holograms in front of us they can help us sharing information in real time and telling us information also about disaster. We actually started doing some small development in uh, using HoloLens 2 uh, last year. We are still trying to publish this paper. It's in different round of peer review process, but we managed to create a hologram system that was guiding person to learn at least in a, in, in a, a simulated disaster what they were supposed to do, like closing the door where there is the fire, and then oh. do this and do that and there was a hologram of a firefighter guiding you and also in that case will human follow this instruction what will be the trust of uh, digital things will you trust the system will you trust the ai would you trust more a person that's all things that are are gonna change because society is gonna change and and and, we, and what about the hybrid right we need to see how we are going to respond. So there will be a lot of things also to understand how much people will trust 
a robotic system that help them during a disaster or a AI system or if they wouldn't accept help from this hybrid solution. So there will be a lot of things that uh, might change our life or probably self-driving car that are already connected with the system that they know where to go to evacuate and then go to the final destination that you picked to spend the rest of the time of the disaster. So there is a lot of things that we, I see that might happen and uh, it's going to be interesting also to understand how people relate and partner, create partnership with this AI solution and machine because it's, we are still human. Yes. I'm still driven by the fact that I do things because I trust that decision, I trust that information. And, uh, and there is always the, as we were talking at the beginning, free will. And if we accept to, to have a society that allows people to have free will, we need to respect that and find a way around when people might ex uh, decide not to follow the, the code of right. the, the regulation because they feel like that's against their freedom. And so to, so the, to the degree that there are valid digital solutions, they might have to be humanized in the way they're presented to people, right? That, that getting a text that says, go this way, that's clearly digital information. But seeing a hologram of a firefighter saying, come this way and close the door behind you, that's kind of putting a more of a, a human face on it. Yeah. Just like, right, when, when, when a robot talks to you or, or is listening to you and it just stares at you, you think you're just talking to a machine, but when they teach the robot to go, hmm? Exactly. You know, right? right? They, they give it some... There's a lot of things that we need to still figure it out. Yeah. And also we, we, we change the way we interact with technology. And uh, it might be that at the beginning the solution will be A, and then as we evolve as a society and the trust with the technology might be that we don't need any longer what we used to do 10, 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. Exactly. Well, I, you know, it's it's one of those things that makes uh, me regret the what the limits of the human lifespan are, because I, I would just love to 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 be around to see into the future and exactly. You know, but I, but I guess what we could do is we can we can start pointing uh, pointing the shoes in the right direction, and the next generation will continue that. And you you hope that the work that you're doing now will you know, be the basis of future research that saves more lives. Yeah, probably we won, uh, won the Nobel Prize of Disaster, but at least we can do some steps for the next generation to come. I'm so going to write you in, you know, on, on the write-in box for the Nobel Prize. You know, they should have a disaster prize because that's a prize that would actually save a lot of lives. Exactly. And with good cash so we can pay out our workhouses. That's right. <laughs> Reno, I cannot thank you enough for, for joining me today. And I know uh, we're going to have you back on the fire break uh, frequently. And please let me know as you get new developments. I want to spread the word about the amazing work you're doing. Thank you so much. And I'll keep you posted when we have new awesome technology and solution that we've been testing and published. Uh, well, thank you so much. If you guys want to follow along, it's Reno Lovreglio. Exactly. If, you, if you noticed, I looked down because I did have to, to read it. But uh, anyway, you could find him on, on LinkedIn and study the work he's doing. It's fascinating. And I think uh, 
the link he said we should go to would be HMM NIST, or if we put that into our Google thing, and it'll tell you uh, some good advice about how to, you know, save your life and the life of your family members in a disaster. And we'll stick a link right here on the bottom of this. Rino, thank you again so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You've been listening to The Firebreak. I'm Steve Wolf, sponsored by Team Wildfire. We'll see you at the next episode. Thanks.